all of 30 all at one time. So we, we found a convenient place to break it. And we'll go from there. Let me open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, how awesome you are. Lord, we, we read of your power and your might over the universe. Our song this morning speaks to that. And we have another that's coming also. Heavenly Father, when we stand before your heavens that you breathed into existence, how small we feel. We are so undeserving of your grace and your kindness and your generosity and especially your love. Your love is more powerful than all the heavens, more than anything we can imagine. And Lord, we are so undeserving. We are overcome by your love. We know that even the greatest things that we can imagine about you are just figments of who you truly are. How amazing, how grand, and how deep is your mystery. Lord, this is the way we were meant to live as a model of you, of Jesus and his church. How awesome is Jesus. Lord, we are so lost without you. Our sin and failure are like millstones tied around our necks. And we forget to look at you, Lord. Come down this morning and be with us. Remind us so that we do not fall short. Let us not follow after our own hearts, but to you and you only to give ourselves to. Lord, give us wisdom and discernment to heed the words of your prophet Isaiah here and to understand them. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, actually yesterday, was World Albatross Day. And it's was originally founded as one of those things that we would think about. And it turns out that there's a, a certain species of albatross that nests in these rock islands that are off the coast of Japan. And I'd never really thought about it. I knew about this, but you know, you, you know something, but you don't really know it. And um, so I was reading in this one article about how this one species of albatross was completely decimated before World War II. They were, it was actually listed as extinct. There were no known nesting pairs of albatross. And it turns out that right before World War II, Japan declared that these animals were to be protected. And there were none of them that were left. Well, the funny thing about these animals 
is when they are hatched and they fledge, they grow to full size very quickly. And when they hatch, then they leave and they fly around the ocean and they don't come back to land for five or six years. And in that time, these albatross came back. The juveniles grew up, became adults, and came back. And there were about 40 nesting pairs that were left. And from those 80 birds, there are now about 20,000 of them worldwide. Um, oddly, they no longer are just restricted to um, the five islands in Japan. Uh, there's two pairs that have decided to make Hawaii their home. And so they, they nest in, on Midway, actually, Midway Island, um, with the other albatross that are there. And so these particular, these four, the, the wildlife people there, U.S. fish and game people actually go looking for these four albatross every year. Again, it's one of those bizarre things. They don't know how long they live. We have no idea. So um, this animal actually came back from extinction. And it was pretty cool to read, the, read their stories this week. But I found out that these islands off the coast of Japan, that one of them is at the other end of the island chain of the islands that I was born on. And I did not know that. We're going to read the end of chapter 29 in Isaiah. So Isaiah... Uh, 22 to 24, three verses, and that is actually the opening of the song that Isaiah does in chapter 30, that we're going to go through most of it today. So let's go ahead and open up to Isaiah 29, verse 22. While we're looking at this song by Isaiah today, this is a song of the reaction of Israel to the siege of Jerusalem. It's a song of warning to God's people. And upon learning of the siege to about to begin, Israel sends emissaries to Egypt to try and curry favor with the Egyptians. Fascinating thing. And Israel forgets that they have God. They completely blow it. And Israel is petulant and rebellious to the fact that Isaiah is reminding them that they need to go to God, and they don't do that. And we're going to look at that. So let's start with verse 22, Isaiah 29, 22. Therefore thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob shall no more be ashamed, no more shall his face grow pale. So this may sound strange, like disconnected pieces. 
But the thing that Israel forgets here is that God redeems Abraham by faith because of the promise that God made to Abraham. And God says to Israel, the house of Jacob, that Israel shall no more be ashamed. And they forget this. The direct implication is that Israel shall no more lose face on the battlefield. And indeed, this is the last time that Israel loses the fight to an invading nation. Now, later on, the the Israelites are under the foot of others, the Seleucids, and then the Greeks, and then finally the Romans. But they don't lose any battles in that particular case. In this particular case, they end up being overcome in battle. And Israel sends emissaries to Egypt. And Israel is rebellious. There's an immediate and direct line, and it's for the house of Jacob to not lose. Perhaps not win, but definitely not lose. And there's also a spiritual dimension to this. It's not just the here and the now, this particular battle, but there's an enduring instruction there for the people of God. In Joshua 24.14, Joshua 24.14, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. In other words, don't go running back to the Egyptians with their false gods. In Acts 7, 2 through 4, Acts 7, 2 through 4, and Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there to this land in which you are now living. Abraham is redeemed by faith. Abraham walks in faith with God. Continuing on in Isaiah, verse 23. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. The true church will sanctify God's name and God's holy one. And this is the promise of Jesus. And God's people will be in awe of what God does, how God overcomes the real obstacle that prevents God's people from partaking of God's holy presence, the problem of sin, of the church being the work of his hands. We are God's work and we are to sanctify the name of God. 
all the way back in the beginning in Genesis, right? Adam and Eve. Leanne and I literally were talking about this last night on our walk together. Adam and Eve are walking with God. They have that one-on-one relationship with God, which does not exist at this time. And again, after Jesus comes, we have that one-on-one relationship with God, as Adam and Eve did. So verse 24, And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmur will accept instruction. So here in verse 24, the last verse in chapter 29, those who stray from God's path will see and know and understand how they have wandered away from God. And those who resist and rebel against God, continuing against God, will be brought to kneel before God. How often have we read in that day? And we know that on that day, all will kneel. Some of us will kneel before God in awe and worship. And others will be forced to kneel before God in fear and condemnation. Isaiah shifts gears here at this point. We launch into chapter 30, verse 1. And the heading at this point says, Do not go down to Egypt. I think that's pretty clear. Do not go down to Egypt. And then Isaiah starts. Ah, stubborn children. Declares the Lord. Who carry out a plan, but not mine. Who make an alliance, but not of my spirit. That they may add sin to sin. Again, ah, stubborn children could be read as, woe, stubborn children. Jacob is still trying to fix the problem that sits before them without the help of God. They're running off to Egypt. They have their own plan, the plans of men. Hey, let's go to Egypt and ask them for help. But it is not God's plan. And Israel, the nation, chooses to make an alliance with Egypt. But God's spirit is not in this plan. And they chase after Egypt. And in doing so, they continue to add sin on top of sin. Verse 2, who set out to go to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Here in verse 2, Israel runs to seek refuge from Egypt, but they do not ask God if this is the right path. Israel seeks shelter in the shadow of Pharaoh of Egypt. Israel does not seek shelter in the shadow of God. Verse 3, Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. God condemns their plan and the earthly protection of Egypt 
will bring shame and humiliation on Israel because of what they have done. In verse 4, For though his officials are at Zoan, and his envoys reach Hanas. Zoan and Hanas are believed to be the names of towns, possibly the same town, but I don't think so. Hanas does not occur in the Bible anywhere else, and it is not found anywhere else except here. The ASV has a note that the town is located 50 miles south of modern-day Cairo. Zoan has two other names, by the way, Tapanis or Tanis. And this plain is known as a temple city of Pharaoh. The Septuagint translates here that the ambassadors of Egypt came to Hanas, implying it was a city closer to Jerusalem than Tanis or to Zoan. No one truly knows where Hanas is located, but Zoan we know. Psalm 78, 12 and 43. Psalm 78, verses 12 and 43. Verse 12. In the sight of their fathers he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. They're talking about God performing the miracles in Egypt before the Exodus. Down in verse 43, in the same passage, verse 43. When he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. Continuing on, verse 5. Everyone comes to shame, though a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. Israel comes to shame and disgrace from their friendship with the Egyptians. Isaiah continues in this song. An oracle on the beasts of the Negev through a land of trouble and anguish, from where come the lioness and the lion, the adder and the fiery and the flying fiery serpent. They carry their riches on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. Israel pays homage to Egypt for an alliance that goes against God's wishes. And Israel pays dearly for this in their relationship with God. God warns them in verse 7. Verse 7, Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore I have called her Rahab, who sits still. The use of the name Rahab here alludes to a Canaanite creation myth of a chaos monster, God. Isaiah is making fun of the myth and of the people following after the Egyptians with a name that translates as Rahab who sits still. Ezekiel alludes to this as well. Remember, the Israelites regard the sea as being equal to chaos. So here is Ezekiel 28.2. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seats of the gods, in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man and no god, though you make your heart to be like the heart of a god. It's almost as though Ezekiel is speaking of Pharaoh 
verse 8. A rebellious people. And now go, write it before them on a tablet, and inscribe it in a book, that it may be for a time to come as a witness forever. Isaiah is directed by God to write all this down, for these lessons to be a witness forever, and an example for us to know and to learn from. So obviously Isaiah did well, and we still have his words here that he wrote down. In verse 9, For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. A rebellious people who do not follow or heed instruction, like lying children unwilling to hear. And now they say something that's truly astounding. Verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. Say to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Wow. I cannot imagine anyone listening to that come from the people of Israel. But indeed, here it is. A people who say to the oracles, do not see, and to the prophets, give us smooth things. Don't tell us the hard lessons. We want it to be our way. Make it easy for us. Tell us what we want to hear. Don't tell us the hard and ugly truths we have to hear. Tell us to do the things we want to do, not the responsibilities we must do. And do not tell us of what God is telling us to do. Does this not sound like the world we live in today? how it is exactly what we see and what we hear. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse whose breaking comes suddenly, in an instant, because the people do not follow after God. This rebellion will result in judgment and punishment quickly, and as though in an instant it breaks. Here Isaiah speaks to how this happens. And its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel, that it is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments is not a shard found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of a cistern. Not any of the pieces are left of any use, utterly shattered. Given our other imagery of being clay pottery, this image of useless shards is particularly distressing. 
even in this kind of defeat, there is nothing left to recover from. You can imagine this, that you have a pot that breaks, but you have some pieces that still can be used to scoop water, or you can use it to scoop up a part of the fire to move from one place to another. None of those pieces are big enough to do this with. Verses 15 and 16. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling, and you said, No, we will flee upon horses. Therefore you shall flee away, and we will, stride, we will ride on swift steeds. Therefore your pursuers shall be swift. There is no rest in this path. It is a loss, and there is no respite either. Even in taking a break to rest, failure follows. There is no retreat. The press of disaster envelops the people. Every time that they are presented with a choice, they make the wrong choice, and they choose badly. Verse 17, and we're going to finish with verse 17 today. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Isaiah is telling them that everyone will be able to see what happens to them when they flee in terror from those that could easily be defeated. Are we listening to God? Are we worshiping God the way he demands to be worshiped? Or are we simply following what we think is right? We've always done it this way. I have a neighbor. He's told me what church he attends. I can't remember which one it is. One of them here in the valley. And we often see each other as we're walking our dogs in the evening as soon as it starts to cool down, right around sunset. And whenever I want to talk about Jesus with him, he wants to talk about dispensationalism. It's the only thing he knows how to talk about. And I think it's a very interesting twist that he has on Christianity, that he's focused on, not on Jesus, on something else. Are we seeing and hearing God's calling to us every day? When we get up, what do we think about when our feet hit the floor? I remember this morning when I got up and um, I dropped some lumber on my hand yesterday. You can see my, my pinky's a little dark on the tip. And for some reason, the pinky got the brunt of it, probably between a couple of two-by-fours while I wasn't paying attention. But this morning, 
and I could feel my, my hand hurt. And I remember actually saying, Jesus, thank you that my hand hurts to let me know it's still there. <laughs> so Jesus and I had a short conversation this morning just as my feet were hitting the floor. I will be honest with you, that happened exactly twice this week. Seven days, Al only got it twice. I'm working on that. Isaiah sings a song of redemption. Implied behind all of this, is the promise that God will redeem Israel. And God will redeem Israel and bring all of God's people to his holy mountain to worship him. If you step back just a moment and think, you can see it. Isaiah is saying, don't do this, follow after God. In fact, we go on in chapter 30 next week, and Isaiah actually cracks the door open on this part of the message. We'll talk about this next week. This is so cool. Isaiah ends up pointing us back towards God. And amazingly, you can see Jesus in this message next week. It's awesome. I'm not excited, I'm sorry. I'll stop talking about it next week. God loves us. I look at the chaos in the world today and how discouraging it would be if I did not know that Jesus is going to win in the end. I think about how I fail. God knows I'm not where I need to be yet. And again and again, I am asking forgiveness from God. I keep trying to rely on the world. God's greatness will be there for all to see on the day of the Lord. We will all witness his greatness and his splendor on that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so amazing. Your love and your care for us is so just utterly incredible. Lord, down through the ages, you have made sure that Isaiah's words would reach us. And we hear your message here in Isaiah's words. How you continue to hold us in the palm of your hand, even though all the turmoil swirls around us. And how you lovingly guide us and care for us. Lord, hide your word in our hearts that we read the words of your prophet Isaiah and write your words deep down inside of us. Give us the lessons we must learn from you, only from you, and guide us in your perfect path. Do not let us smooth out your rock. Let us feel the roughness of the rock that is supposed to be there. Jesus, you died in our place to redeem us, to save us 
from ourselves. Jesus, you are so amazing, and we love you, and we bless you and we honor you. We praise the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.